0: Good morning once again. I have to say it, I've lived in Brazil for six years, and I've never not started a service by saying, "Bom dia, grazie, paz, in nome de Jesus. I cannot not preach and not say it. I know know we're doing English today, but I cannot not say it. I was, I was, I'm a little less nervous than I was first service. Not because, not because I can't preach, not that I've never preached. But in six years in Brazil, this service will be the second time I've ever preached in English in Brazil. So as weird as that sounds, I was a little nervous first service. Knocked a little, the nerves off, and I'm a little better this service here. Um, But we are... We're going to be in 2 Peter. We're going to continue on in our series that we've been doing. Um, The title of the sermon today is Features of False Teachers. Features of False Teachers. And I just want to give us a refresher. The refresher is we're walking through the book of 2 Peter. Um, Peter, when he wrote this letter, he is imprisoned in Rome. And he knows that he is more than likely going to be executed fairly soon. And so he wrote this letter to confirm for the believers that what they taught was the truth. And part of the reason it was the truth is because he was there and he was an eyewitness of this truth. At the same time, apparently there were some false teachers that were suggesting that since Jesus had not yet returned, he wasn't going to. And so because of that, we're going to look at that today. We're going to read through today. What we're going to read through today looks at how these false teachers were living. And since they believed that Jesus' return could not be expected at all, that means they no longer had a fear of future judgment. And so what that meant for them is they could live however they pleased. They could do whatever they want, whenever they wanted, and there would be no consequence. And we will see that their lifestyle was severely immoral and leaned heavily into debauchery. And so we heard from the book of Jude earlier, and we did that because the book of Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 have a lot of parallels, a lot of parallels in language and also in subject matter. There is more than likely, more than likely, 2 Peter was dependent on Jude for writing or Jude was dependent on 2 Peter for writing, or the third option is there was a whole other text that both 2 Peter and Jude were based on. Either way it happened, it it doesn't matter because what it tells us is it affirms for us that the Bible maintains its consistency. The Bible maintains its reliability. The Bible can be trusted. So today we're gonna read through some verses from 2 Peter chapter 2 we're going to look at what is going on. What is Peter specifically writing about to these, these hearers that received his initial letter? And then we're going to look at, now what do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives today? So just to help with the reading, I'm going to actually start in verse 9. So I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2, a little bit into verse 9 through verse 16. It says this, Then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they they are stronger and more powerful, Do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. Verse 13, they will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight, they are blots and blemishes, reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed, an accursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So before we continue, let let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together as the family of God, that we can look at your word, we can look at your truth, and we pray that you would open our minds open our hearts to receive the truth of your word, Lord, that it would penetrate us and that we would then turn around and live this out for others to see. Be with us in these moments. Pray that your words would be spoken. And I pray all of this in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. So we're going to walk through this set of scriptures this morning. And I want you guys to take note of three things that are typical, or at least were typical, of these false teachers. And these false teachers, remember, are practicing depravity, a type of moral wickedness, while at the same time trying to say they were confessing followers of Christ. And so this section of verses is actually a detailed account of what Peter writes in the first part of verse 10. In verse 10, he talks about those who follow corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes when I I read something, or I watch the news, or I hear a story. They, they'll get to a part and then they just kind of stop and they leave it like a cliffhanger. And you think, well, what did they do? What happened? What's next? Now what? Or um, if you are married, uh, maybe some of you men can relate to me. If you're not married, guys, this is something you might have to look forward to one day. Sometimes I'll go out and I'll meet somebody either a random person or an arranged encounter, and I'll go home and I'll say, Melissa, I met so-and-so today. And she'll say, are they married? And I'll say, I don't know. She'll say, do they have kids? I don't know. Where are they from? What do they do? She has all these questions because sometimes we want more. We want some details. Well, if you are that type of person, this morning you're in luck because Peter is going to help us out. He's going to give us details. It's not just going to, we're not going to stop there. It's not going to be a, they follow the desires of the flesh and despise authority. He's going to tell us exactly what these false teachers were doing. He describes for us in atten- uh, with detail what they were doing and why they earned his attention and his rebuke. So we're going to look, starting at uh, chapter 2, verses two ten 10 through 13. And the first thing I want you to note is the arrogance of the false teachers. So, so the number one thing to note is their arrogance. I'm going to read again verses 10 through 13. It says, bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters, they do not understand. They are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. So it just starts off right out of the gate. These false teachers, they are bold, and they are arrogant. And this is not just, you know, your everyday typical type of arrogance, they have this unbridled arrogance. They can do whatever they want. They can say whatever they want because they're the end to themselves. And in here, uh, this word arrogance holds some significant meaning in the original text. One of the ideas behind this word arrogance is that these people are reckless people. They have no discernment. They see it, they feel it, they go for it. There's there's no pause for thinking. There's no pause for reflection. There's no, what does the Lord say about this? I see it, I like it, I go for it. So they're reckless. They're obstinate people. They are determined to please themselves. So another characteristic of these arrogant people is they're self pleasing, they're only out for themselves. Whether or not they harm somebody or help somebody is irrelevant to them. Their object is to please themselves. And they will do it at all costs. And they do it in a form that is daring, but it's daring in an evil way. And then the third thing that this type of arrogance is, it's, it's they do things without shame. They have zero shame. And so they will perform shameful practices, which are an affront to decency. They're things that no decent person would ever do, let alone think about doing. Because these false teachers, these false teachers, they believe that they know all, and they believe that they are above all. And not only are they boldly arrogant, but they also heap abuse on celestial beings. The Greek is not 100% clear about what Peter means by celestial beings. But there are two main thoughts, and so we're going to talk briefly about both of those thoughts. One of those schools of thought is that when Peter wrote that they were heaping abuse on celestial beings is that they were heaping abuse on church leaders. So this is one interpretation, is that Peter was saying that these false teachers were heaping abuse on top of church leaders. And if this is what Peter meant, then heaping abuse on church leaders would be abuse. And it would be contrary to Scripture. Scripture is clear how we are to regard those placed in positions of leadership. A couple of examples. 1 Thessalonians five, twelve, and 13. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in their highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. Another one is First Timothy 5.17. It says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. And then a, a third example from the Bible is Hebrews thirteen, seventeen. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. So if what the false teachers are doing is heaping abuse on top of church leaders, it is contrary to scripture because we're to give honor and respect to those who lead the church of Christ. So that's the first thought. That's one interpretation is he's talking about church leaders. The other one, which is the way I, I tend to lean towards, is when Peter writes celestial beings, he means just that. These teachers are speaking defiantly against or about angels. And more specifically, they're speaking defiantly and against fallen angels, or what we would call demons. The verse reads, They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. So the sentence structure leads to understanding that while the false teachers talked openly against these celestial beings, angels who are more powerful and stronger didn't dare utter a word of abuse against them. We looked at, at Jude earlier. And in Jude verse 9, we can read, it says, Even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not himself dare to condemn him for slander. Instead, his words were simply, The Lord rebuke you. The angels understand who has authority and who has the power, and they leave it with the Lord. Even the archangel Michael dared not speak against or condemn the devil. There is an author, his name is Michael Green, he wrote this. He said, unlike the false teachers who are careless of the lordship of Christ and are free with their insults, the angels so revere their Lord as they live all their lives in his presence that no insulting language is allowed to pass their lips, even though it would be richly deserved. And if we wanted to, we could probably spend a day just on that sentence alone. Because how much could we learn from this one example right here? If every day you imagined that you were literally in front of God, if you were literally in his presence, would that change your words? Because for these guys, it changed nothing. It changed nothing. These false teachers spoke and acted in any way they pleased, towards anyone they pleased, at any time they pleased, in any place that they pleased. These false teachers spoke and acted as if the spiritual world does not exist, or if it does, it had nothing to do with them. It had no effect on them. But another author that I read named James Shaddix, he says, Peter condemned false teachers for rushing in where angels dare to tread. And so we should practice caution. And we should exercise some form of righteous restraint when it comes to how we talk about others and how we talk about the spiritual world. Because there is a spiritual world. And we would do well to remember and to pray to the Lord that he would protect us against evil, demonic forces. But these teachers, instead of practicing a restraint similar to the angels, They acted like what? They acted like animals. They acted like beasts. Functioning more in the mindset of desires and feelings. Everything they did was based in desires and feelings. And they completely ignored reason and truth. Peter wrote that they are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct born only to be caught and destroyed and like animals they too will perish. They will pay back with harm for the harm they have done. See I've, I've not seen every animal in the world but I've seen plenty of animals in person. I've seen videos of animals. I've heard stories of animals. I've seen pictures of animals. So today I've never met or seen an animal that has the ability to reason. I have never heard of an animal that understands what truth is. And yet that's what these false teachers are equal to. They're equal to animals. They function solely on instinct, completely ignoring reason and truth. One of the things I read said these false teachers, they behaved like dumb beasts on the level of their instincts, and they ended up just like the animals in the slaughterhouse. because their end These false teachers, their end was not heavenly reward. It was destruction. It was destruction. So the first thing we need to know of these false teachers is that they were arrogant. They were arrogant. The second thing that I want you guys to take note of this morning is these guys were full of lust. They were full of lust. They had this self-indulgent lust that was just off the charts off the charts. They, they could not be satisfied. Verses 13 and 14 say the, their idea of pleasures to carouse in broad daylight. They're like blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you, who would be the believers. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning, and they even go so far as to seduce the unstable. Now, I don't know how much you know about Roman history or Roman society. So, Peter was in Rome when this letter was written. So, his point of reference, I would think, would be Romans and how Romans are living. Roman society during this period was pretty unwholesome. And that's me being nice about it. It was pretty unwholesome. At this time period, the emperor of Rome was a man named Nero. And this is what it is, of, this is, what it is said of Emperor Nero. It is said that he lavished himself in his own power. He used golden thread for his fishing nets. He never wore the same robe twice. He had his mules shod with silver. He was heavily into parties. He practiced group intimacy and gluttony. His dinner sometimes lasted for 12 hours from noon until midnight. The truth is, for Emperor Nero, there was nobody that was off limits, including his own family members for his own self-satisfaction or wrath. This was like the scum of the earth, the worst of the worst. I mean, if you tried to create a horrible person, I don't know how much more horrible you can get than Emperor Nero and some of the Romans of the day. So you would be think it would think it'd be hard to outdo the Romans. However... Paul says these false teachers, they're not just as bad as the Romans, they're worse. They're worse than the Romans because what they practice, they do in broad daylight. It's hard to say that if you practice these things, you're a decent person. But there, I guess there's a level of decency. So the Romans, they would practice it, but typically at night. So you didn't know what was going on. <laughs> Well, these false teachers were even worse than that. They didn't even have the decency to do it in cover of darkness. They did it in the broad daylight for the whole world to see. And they're professing Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the confusion that would ensue from such a thing? These false teachers were not only only leading themselves to destruction, but this passage tells us they were also defiling the common meal of the community. And so in the New Testament church, it's very often they referenced a gathering, a fellowship of Christians as the love feast. The love feast was when Christians would get together with the purpose of fellowship, breaking of bread, praying for one another, doing life with one another. And then one of the aspects that they did during the love feast was they would participate in the Lord's Supper. And so these false teachers have infiltrated the church and they are defiling the community of God and they are defiling the Lord's Supper. They are blots on the Christian fellowship. They are like blemishes on an animal. And if you know your Old Testament, an animal with a blemish was not worthy to be sacrificed to the Lord. They were like blemishes on an animal which was unfit to be offered to God. There were blots and blemishes in the community of Christ. There were blots and blemishes in the church. Peter writes in chapter 13, verse 14, he says, Believers are to make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him who is Christ. These teachers were doing the exact opposite. They had either forgotten had never truly believed or they were just denying the precious promises of God and you would think it could get worse but to make matters worse these false teachers they have eyes full of adultery eyes full of adultery they never stop sinning and they seduce the unstable these men walked around they walked around and they would see a woman as something to be conquered rather than appreciate it as the image bearer of God. And they were so bad that they never stopped. They never stopped. They kept going and going and going. Their minds had become so consumed with self-indulgence, they couldn't turn it off. Some of you in this room may have no idea what a record player is, but there's this thing called a record player that existed before Apple, before online music, before CDs even. There's this thing called a record player. And what happens when a record hits a spot? What'll happen to the record? It just say stuck, right? You just hear the same thing. That's what these false teachers were. That's where they were. They were the record that is stuck. They were on a never ending loop on a record player. Their minds were stuck on, focused in, and embracing sin. It had become part of their identity. It was who they were to the core. I mean, these are the guys, when they come around, you would hide the women and children. That's who these guys are. And I hope you guys are understanding, these were not nice men. These were not nice guys. They they were the underbelly of the world, walking and stalking in broad daylight and still confessing to be followers of Christ. And again, you would think, all right, that's pretty bad. We can stop there. But the thing is, is they they were even worse than that. It says that besides leading themselves to destruction and tarnishing the reputation of the church, it says that they were trying to seduce others to go along with them. Now this word seduce here, it is... um, It's not like the seduce that we think of today. This word seduce in Greek is actually a fishing metaphor. And so if you're a fisherman, you go out seducing all the time. Every time you cast the reel and try to bring a fish in, you're seducing the fish. And that's actually what this word means in the original Greek. This seduce means to catch with bait. And so that's what these guys were doing. They were like skilled fishermen. They were trying to lure in unsuspecting people who were not firm in their faith, who had not firmly rooted themselves enough in Christ, or perhaps they just faltered in their identity in Christ. So these false teachers, they were a special, special breed. And unfortunately, they are still among us today. So the first thing that we need to note is the arrogance of, of these false teachers the second thing we need to know is their lust the third thing that we need to know is their greed verses 14 through 16 it says they are experts in greed an accursed brood they have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam son of Bezer, who loved the wages of wickedness but he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey an animal without speech who spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. So Peter noted that these false teachers were experts in greed. I'm going to teach you one word in Greek today, just one. The Greek word for greed is pleonexia. Pleonexia. It means to have an unbridled desire for more and more things. And usually these are things that you have no right to. They are things you have no need of. Or sometimes it's the, the, it's the uh, desire to have things which no one has the right to even desire, let alone have. That was a mouthful right there. It's the desire to have things which no one even has the right to desire, let alone have. In most contexts, it's about money. In other contexts, it's about illicit or unnatural intimacy. But what it means is these men had schooled themselves. They had trained themselves in the desire for forbidden things. Their desire was for the forbidden. The NIV, it, it says that they were experts in greed. A better way to understand this is that they had their hearts trained in greed. Their hearts were trained in greed. The word trained is a little bit better because the word trained in, in English means, that's what, how we get the word gymnasium. And that's the word that is used in the Greek here. So this word train is where we get the word gymnasium. So what it means is these men worked out for this. They have time and energy developing muscles of greed. They had trained themselves in the unbridled desire for more And more and more of the forbidden." Their greed was such that it was one of the driving forces behind everything that they did. Everything that they did. And Peter gives a response, and it's a rather pointed response. He says, an accursed brood. What he is saying is God's curse upon you. God's curse upon you. It's the only response to give. God's curse upon you. And then Peter moves in to compare the greed of these false teachers to the Old Testament character Balaam. And I'm not going to recant the whole story of Balaam. Um, He was this unique, weird combination of prophet and fortune teller that sometimes received payments as a, a type of a freelance prophet. Um, he was more than willing to give a blessing or a curse if he just had the right amount of money to give to him. And so you can read his story in Numbers chapter 22 through 24. But the long and the short of it is, Balaam was asked to curse the Israelites by the king of Moab, but he, he refused. It wasn't necessarily that he wanted to refuse, but God gave him very explicit and clear directions that he was not to curse The Israelites, instead, he was actually to bless them. But later, Balaam uses his knowledge of Israel to counsel some of Israel's enemies to use seduction in order to compromise God's people. If you look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 14, John references Balaam. He says, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Of Balaam who taught Balak the king to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality this is what the false teachers are this is what Peter is saying just like Balaam followed the wrong path the false teachers are following the wrong path because the point the point of this section is that these false teachers have deliberately left the straight path and instead chose to follow the path of destruction. We need we need to remember that we must always follow God's word over whatever irrational or deceiving words others might give, who only speak for their own gain. I'm not gonna, I'm gonna list all the prosperity people out there and there's other forms of it if you're connected to church at all you understand that these false teachers are out there they're out there seeking not for the betterment of others not for others to come to saving knowledge to Christ they're out there to gain for themselves and for themselves only and you know what these three things arrogance lust and um what's my third point Ah, See, you're listening. Arrogance, (laughs) lust, and greed. It wasn't that I forgot all of a sudden, you guys are listening. Arrogance, lust, and greed. The thing about these three things, every one of us is susceptible to each and every one of them. Don't any one of us think for a moment that we're above any of these things. Every single one of us is susceptible to each and every one of these things. You know why? Because it is so much easier to serve ourselves than to serve a a risen Lord. It is so much easier to focus on how I feel and what makes me feel good. I mean, look, you think this text does not apply? Look at the world around us today. It is so much easier to say, I want what makes me feel good. So none of us should for a moment ever think that we are susceptible from any of these three things because it is so much easier to live for self than to live for Christ. But Matthew chapter 17, verses 13 and 14 say this, enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it but small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it." So how do we do that? We're going to get to the, the now what part. And In our house, we read our Bibles individually, and then we discuss what we're reading together, and I tell my kids, and I, I, would, I like to think everybody here does the same thing with, with your kids, the Bible It's God's word. We need to understand it. We need to read it. We need to know what God was saying to the first audience that received it. But we cannot stop there. We cannot just keep it as a head knowledge where I understand how this applied to its first readers. We have to learn and we have to know how to apply it to ourselves. So what do we do with this now? These false teachers are full of arrogance, lust, and greed. How do we apply this to our lives. So this is our now what. The first one I added after the slides were done, so there's no slide for the first one. So the now what, what do we need to do? The number one, first thing we need to do is we need to practice humility. We need to practice humility. We are to imitate the humility of Christ, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Philippians 2, 6 and 7. The king of the universe left heaven to serve us. It is the ultimate picture of humility. And while he was here, he taught us a few things. One of those things we can find in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. One of many things that he taught us. He said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. That's the picture of humility. The humble are not those who throw their weight about. The humble are not those who need to be first. The humble are not those that need all the attention. But rather, the humble are those who rely on God to give them their due. We humble ourselves before a mighty God. And we humble ourselves before one another. And like I said, the denial of self is perhaps, perhaps one of the hardest things to fight against. But God hasn't left us alone. God has equipped us. He has given us his Holy Spirit that we might persevere. So the first thing we need to do is we need to practice humility. The second thing we need to do is we need to remember. We need to remember. 2 Peter 1.3 says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We need to remember our call. We are to take our faith that we received through his calling, and we are to generously and sacrificially build upon it. And what do we build upon our faith? Pastor Thomas, every week, has been asking, what do we build upon our faith? Chapter 1, 2 Peter. We build upon our faith what? Goodness? Knowledge? Knowledge? self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. And why do we do this? Why do we build upon our faith? Because we're assured salvation as we progressively grow in likeness and in the influence of his character to the culture around us. So we need to remember. I have three things that we need to remember. Number one, we need to remember God's promises. I did not count them, I would never have gotten to the end, but it is estimated that in the Bible there are between seven and eight thousand promises made. Between seven and eight thousand promises made. I was kidding with first service, but we, Calvary practices reading through Revelation on January 1st, December 31st we could read through and find all the promises of God together. It might take more than than a day though. it's estimated that there are seven to 8,000 promises made in the Bible. And we're not, I don't have the time to recant all of them to you. I just want to share three, three promises that you can cling to today. The first one is God is always good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. You can trust in that promise. God is always good. Another promise that you can cling to is God is always faithful. God will do exactly what he said he would do, and he will see it to fulfillment. God is faithful. And the third promise just for today that I want you to remember is that God gives. And I'm not talking finances. God gives. God gives wisdom. God gives courage. God gives strength. God gives. He provides in ways so that you never have to feel alone because in Christ you are never alone. God gives. So remember God's promises. The second thing to remember is remember your identity in Christ. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are because you have been justified. You have been set free from condemnation. You have been redeemed. You are a new creation. Never forget who you are in Jesus. Remember your identity in Christ. And the third thing is remember your influence. Remember your influence, you, my brothers and sisters, you are the salt of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. For most people that each and every one of us in this room encounters, your life is the only Bible that another person will read. For most people you encounter, your life is the only Bible they will ever read. Live for Jesus. We're not perfect, and I'm not suggesting we should be perfect, but we should be imitators of Christ. We should be striving for Christ-likeness. We should have influence on the world around us. When people look at us, the way we walk, the way we talk, they should tell that something is different about this guy. Something is different about this This young lady, something is different about this woman. And I need to know what it is because we should always be ready to stand and give a defense for the faith that we have. So never forget the influence that you have on others. Spend time with God, spend time in his word, spend time growing in Christ likeness with others. A quick plug, there is Sunday school that takes place at 10 o'clock every Sunday, just about every Sunday, every once in a while, there's a prayer hour instead. But every Sunday, there's, there's Sunday school at 10 o'clock. You wanna grow in Christ? One of the best ways to do it is to grow in Christ with other people. Iron sharpens iron. We, we help one another, we spur one another on, we encourage one another. So I would encourage everybody in this room, if you have never even, I'm not saying you have to commit, just test it. Test out a Sunday school. Because my hope and my prayer is that once you test it, you're going to be hooked. And so try, try a Sunday school. Grow in Christ with other people. Okay? And the last thing for the now what? We need to check it. We need to check it. Believers are not meant to believe any old teaching that the world gives. We're not meant to believe any old teaching that, that somebody gives. We are to cling to the truth found and careful study and handling of God's word. In Acts, it talks about a group of believers called the Bereans. Acts 17, 11. It says, The Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. for They received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to verify that what Paul was teaching was true. Check it. Examine the scriptures. Just because I say something is truth from the Bible, I mean, I try to be faithful with God's word, but just because I say it's true doesn't mean you have to accept it. If Pastor Thomas is up here preaching, just because he something, says something is true doesn't mean you have to accept it, but what you do need to do is go consult God's word and see if what was said is true. We need to check what is taught to make sure it matches up and aligns with what God's Word says. We need to make sure it is true. I mean, these believers were verifying Paul, the Apostle Paul. They were verifying his teaching, and they, it says that they did it every day. Every day they were checking his teaching to make sure that what he was saying was true to God's Word. A false teacher, a false teacher will always be caught Always be caught if you use the Bible as the standard by which gospel truth is taught. You want to catch a false teacher, use the Bible as the standard for truth. And then the other thing under check it is test everything. Test everything. First Thessalonians five twenty to twenty two says, Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. And then just hold on to what's good and reject every kind of evil. We should not take all claims at more than face value. We should test them and then we hold to true. We hold to what is true and we hold to what is good. Test everything, hold fast only to what is true and only to what is good. So I hope that this has been a word of encouragement for you guys and here in a minute, Uh, The band's going to come up. They're going to play some songs. And it's going to be a time for you to receive prayer. There'll be a a group of people that'll stand out here. And this is your opportunity. This is your opportunity. Maybe the Lord touched you today. Maybe those are one of your three areas you need to repent of. Arrogance, lust, and greed. Maybe it's something else. But all of us, all of us are just broken vessels. All of us need prayer. And so I want to invite any and all, if you want to receive prayer for something you're struggling with, something that's going on in your life, a difficulty you're dealing with, something you're trying to overcome, this is your moment. The Bible encourages us to pray one for the other. It is an honor to be able to pray on behalf of a brother or sister in Christ to our Heavenly Father. Also, it doesn't have to just be like, I need help with this. If you have a praise... If something has happened this week and the Lord has just blessed you in a way that you couldn't have imagined or dreamed up, it's okay to come out here and share praise with somebody and we'll send up a prayer of praise to our Heavenly Father. That's one thing we sometimes forget. Prayer is praise as well. So if you have something to be thankful for, please come out. Somebody would love to offer up a prayer of thankfulness for you. Or perhaps you're here today and you still do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If that's the case, this is your opportunity. If you want to know more about who Jesus is, or if you already know with certainty who Jesus is, and you want him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, we want to invite you to come outside and find one of us, and let us pray with you to receive Christ to rule in your heart from now and forevermore. So I'm going to end with a verse. The band's going to come up and I'm going to pray. And then when the music starts, that's your opportunity to come and receive prayer. So I want to end with this verse right here. It's from Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Will you guys read that with me? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Mm -hmm. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity we have to gather together as the body of Christ, to look at your word, to look at your truth, to be guided by your Holy Spirit, Lord. I pray that each and every person here, Lord, that their minds were open, their hearts were open to receive something from you today, Lord, that they can go out and be better followers of you because of it. Pray that you would be with us, not just today, but throughout this week, Lord. Help us to never be a Sunday Christian. Help us to live our faith out throughout the week, all day, every day, being an influencer in whatever sphere we have be at school, be at work, be at ministry, whatever it may be, Lord, use us as salt and light to reach others so that your kingdom can grow and that they too might gain inheritance and become sons and daughters of the king. We thank you so much for your love, and we thank you for your son Jesus that makes it all possible. And we pray this all in his most precious and holy name. Amen.